One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me this morning and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and if you're a guest here today, I know you may be hearing this thinking, wow, they're talking a lot about money. I'll just say this, that's not the norm uh, for us. But uh, the, the truth is, uh, when you read the Bible, you can't help but recognize that, that Jesus talks a lot about money. In fact, it's been said that, that a majority of Jesus' teaching has a direct effect or direct application uh, direct or indirect application to our money, to our wealth, to our possessions. And here's the reason why, because ultimately it's not about money. Money is never about money. Money is actually about life. And, and when Jesus uh, comes into our life, he cares about all of our life. And, and our money is a part of that. Most of us spend most of our week working for that, okay? And so Jesus speaks to that. And I want to look at this passage of Scripture today just to hopefully have a little more understanding about uh, what does Jesus have to say about finances. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice the order of that. Where your treasure is, what you invest in, where you put your resources, your heart will follow. All right? I have to admit to you, I have, uh, over the last year, got a profound heart for the Lee Road area. Why? Because I've invested there. And sometimes we say, God, I just want to love you more. God says this, uh, if you want to love me more, you want me to have more of your heart, here's how to, how to get more involved in my kingdom and put more of your heart in my kingdom. Put your treasure into my kingdom. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, here, here's what Jesus says, and this is the issue. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I want you to notice this. I don't know of any other place in the Gospels where Jesus specifically sets up an item as a likely candidate for idolatry in the place of God. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that of anything else other than uh, money and other than specifically he uses the term mammon. Now, what is mammon? I know that's not a term that we use very often. You know, your kids never come up to you and say, Dad, can I have a little mammon? Uh, that, what mammon is, mammon is not money. Money is not bad. Jesus is not criticizing money. Mammon is the spirit that can get a hold of money that can promise things to us that only God can provide. It's mammon that makes you and I feel like if I just had more money, then I would have the good life. If I just had more money, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had more money, then I'd have joy, then I'd have peace, then I could, I, I could really sleep good at night. Mammon promises to deliver what only God can provide. And Jesus is saying you can't serve God and mammon. Uh, or you could say it this way, you'll either love God and use money, or you'll love money and use God. Did I say that right? You love God and use money to serve Him, or you'll love money and try to use God to get money. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
And he goes on to say, therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. There's the issue. He's talking about our lives. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, not, are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish. <laughs> so why do you worry about clothing? Y'all should hear the things that come to my head up here. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. In other words, flowers aren't stressed out. How do, how do flowers grow? The sun, God just makes the sun to shine on them. God just makes the rain to, to fall on them. Have you ever thought about the miracle of rain? It's a miracle. Anyway, God makes it rain on the flowers. And then he says this. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He doesn't say don't, you, you shouldn't want those things, those things are bad things. He says your Father knows you need them. Listen to this, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What things? The things you need, the car, the house, the clothes, the money for tuition, all of the things, the playground equipment, the AVL equipment, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here we are finding uh, the probably most direct financial teaching from the greatest financier the world has ever known. Uh, now, I don't know if you think about Jesus this way. Maybe you think about Jesus just has wisdom for death, but Jesus actually has wisdom for your life. And here he's teaching about how to live, the greatest teaching that has ever been given. I mean, think about this for just a second. Jeff Bezos is dependent on Jesus. Jeff Bezos' brain would not fire if it was not for Jesus. Warren Buffett, the lungs that he breathes in belong to God, okay? So I know sometimes we think of, you know, Jesus is only having to do with spiritual stuff, and we see everything else as natural life. But here, Jesus, the greatest wisdom on finances ever given, Jesus is giving it. And I want you to notice this phrase, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. Your Father has, knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. I, I Hope that that phrase will resonate in our hearts. Seek the kingdom of God. Why are we building a building, renovating a building? Why are we creating a cafe? Why are we wanting an environment that we can worship God in? Ultimately, we are doing all of those things because we long for the kingdom. It's actually all about the kingdom. 
I'll say this, it's not even about the church. It's actually about the kingdom of God. The church is a vehicle for people to experience the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. Now, I, I don't know if you recognize this, but God has always been about one thing on the earth, and it has been about the kingdom. God is always about the kingdom. Read, uh, read the whole Bible. In fact, I'd encourage you, this is a little practice I do. Anytime I see a word like kingdom or king or rule or reign or domain, I put a little crown in my Bible. And here's what I found is that the whole Bible is actually about the kingdom. God has always been at work to establish his kingdom on the earth. What, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the, the reign of God, the rule of God. All of us actually understand what a kingdom is. I know as Americans, uh, that, that concept may be foreign to us, but all of us understand kingdom. In fact, go over to the little ones today and just grab one of the toys away from one of the, the, the precious two-year-olds in there. What will they say? They will say, mine. What is that? That's kingdom language. There is a war of kingdoms going on in the little ones today. Uh, that's the kingdom. Why, why do... Uh, your kids, or my kids, if you have kids, or when you were a kid, why did you fight with your siblings about their part of the room or their part of the back seat in the minivan? Get over. That's my seat. That's my part of the seat. What is it? That's kingdom. And, and the kingdom of God is the rule of God, the reign of God. It, it is revealed perfectly, experienced perfectly in heaven. But God's mission was never just about getting you into heaven. I don't know if you realize this. Heaven doesn't have a population problem, and it just needs to get some more people in there. I don't know if you realize that. God is on about a lot more than just getting you into heaven. He's trying to get heaven into you. He's trying to get the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. That's why Jesus prayed, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if you realize this. There are no problems in heaven. God doesn't need us in heaven. Where does he need us? He needs us on earth. He needs us on Lee Road. He, he needs us in our neighborhoods. He needs us in our workplaces. He needs us in this community. God will get us into heaven. The question is, can he get heaven into you in order to change the world around you? That's God's ultimate objective, to get the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I don't have time to give a whole study on the theme of the kingdom throughout the Bible, but here's what I want you to understand. It's not a story, it's the story. It's the story. You'll never understand salvation if you don't understand the kingdom. You'll never understand the Bible if you don't understand the kingdom. You'll never understand the church if you don't understand the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God. That's why all of life matters. That's why all of life matters to God, because he's on about getting the kingdom of heaven into the earth. And that's what he has called us to do. This, let me give you some examples. Anytime a group of people or even a person says, I, I want to live under the lordship of Jesus. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit comes in and they begin to overflow with love. What happens? It's the kingdom of God beginning to manifest. I love the story of the Bethel community 
not in Reading, the Bethel community in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And it was a hospital for the mentally disabled run by a family called the Von Bodelschwings, which is just fun to say, Von Bodelschwings, okay? And it was run by this family. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about visiting it. And he says that it was, it was this little community of palpable grace. It felt like a little bit of heaven on earth. And he goes on to tell about when the Nazi SS soldiers came to the Bethel community and demanded that they turn over their patients uh, to the, the Nazi soldiers. Ultimately, they would have been killed in the, in the concentration camps. Frederick von Bodelschwing stood up to the SS soldiers and he said, you can throw me in a concentration camp, but you cannot have my patients. He says, because we do not answer to the Fuhrer here, we answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God coming on earth. A kingdom where, where Jesus is Lord over any political power. It's, a, it's an environment where, uh, where the Holy Spirit is, is palpable and pervasive. Not the spirit of our age that controls us, but the Holy Spirit. It's an atmosphere where law is the is where where love is the law, regardless of what the law of the land is. We are people who live according to love. That's the kingdom of God, and that's what we long for. That's what we want to see. I have to admit to you, if it's just about growing the church, I want to see the church grow. But I'll tell you this: that's not that doesn't get me up and going in the morning. What does stir my heart is, God, let your kingdom come. God, let your kingdom come. Let, let this be a community that when people walk into it, when they walk onto that property on Lee Road or into your home, they go, there's something different here. This is a different culture. It feels different. I don't know what it is. It's not about the decor or the design, although that's really cool. There's something different in the atmosphere. It's the presence of God. There's peace. There's joy. That's the kingdom of God. That's what we're after. That's, that's what we long to see, the kingdom of God come. And so I want to give you a few things just out of this passage of Scripture that I believe are important for us to recognize. As Jesus says, don't worry about what you need. Don't worry about uh, the, the practical things. You seek the kingdom of God. All these things will come to you. And so I want to give you three things out of this teaching or out of this, the, these words of Jesus that will help us to understand the kingdom. The first thing I think Jesus says is this, that the kingdom should be our pursuit. Notice he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom doesn't just fall upon us. We've got to seek it. We've got to go after it. I, I don't know if you remember playing hide-and-go-seek as a kid. But there was an energy, there was an enthusiasm. No one, no one counted and then just kind of sat around and went, oh, I got plenty of time. Uh, when, when they got to the end of the countdown and maybe even before they got to the end of the countdown, they're going around looking. What are they doing? They're seeking, they're seeking. And that's what Jesus says. He says, seek the kingdom, go after the kingdom, be enthusiastic for the kingdom, give it your best energy, seek the kingdom. It should be our pursuit, not we're passive about it. Where does the kingdom of God manifest more fully? It manifests where people are enthusiastically, passionately seeking the kingdom of God. 
pursuing the kingdom of God? Do we pursue the kingdom of God with the, the, the same energy or greater energy than we pursue anything else in our lives? Is, is that the ambition of our lives? So number one, he says it should be our pursuit. We've got to seek it. The second thing is not only should it be our pursuit, but it also needs to be our priority. The kingdom of God must be our priority. He, he says seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. I would say it this way. If Jesus is not first, we're not living in the kingdom of God. Jesus can't be second or third or 23rd down the list. He must be first. That's the preeminence of God. He is before all things. He needs to be first in our lives. So if we're going to experience the kingdom of God, it's got to be our priority. I love it. When Stephen Covey says that peace is when our schedule and our values align. He uses the illustration of, when he talks about priorities, he uses the illustration of uh, sand and stones and rocks. How many of you have heard that illustration? Some of you have heard it. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book, good author. You should read it. But here's what he says. He gives this illustration of this container and you put the sand in first and you put the stones in and then there's no room for the big rocks to go in. And so he says the way that you can get all of those, he, he uses that as an illustration of our lives and the things in our lives and the priorities that we have. And he says the way that you can get that all in is you'll never get it all in if you put the sand in and then the stones in and then the big rocks in last. He says, the way that you can do that is you've got to put the big rocks in first. Who's read this before? Some of you. Diana, thank you. I'm speaking to you this morning, okay? He says, you put the big rocks in first, and then you put the stones, and then you put the sand in, and it all fits in. You should Google this illustration. I would have done it here if I had the time, but you put the big rocks in first, and what he's saying is that you've got to put the things that are the priorities in your life first. And that's true when it comes to seeking God. If the things of God are always the last things to go in, you'll never have room for the things of God. When it comes to your schedule, if you fill in all of your calendar and all of your schedule, and then you go, God, I'm sorry, I don't have any left over. You'll never have enough for God. The way you order your life is you put God in first and the rest will be blessed. It's the principle of first. It's the principle of honoring God. It's true in our finances. It's true in our time. It's true in our affections that he must be our priority. He must be the first in our lives. And when we put him first, everything else will be added to us, the scripture says. So he is our pursuit, or the kingdom is our pursuit. The kingdom is our priority. And the third thing I think Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom becomes our provision. The kingdom becomes our provision. I love that he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right way of living. And all these things will be added to you. All of the things, he, he names them specifically, your clothes and your food. I think we could add your fuel onto that list. All of the things that you need. I, I don't know about you, but in my life, there are some things that I can look at and go, God, I don't know where this is going to happen or how this is going to happen. I don't know where this is going to come from. 
I would say we could add on this uh, as a church, the place that you'll meet. (laughs) Seek first my kingdom. And all of these things will be added to you. Uh, Jesus is saying this, that when you live in my kingdom, you will experience my provision. You see, every kingdom has an economy. The economy that we live in is perpetually up and down, isn't it? And even depending on what news station you listen to, you may think this way or think that way. But let me tell you this, the best place to invest is not in the temporal things, it's in the eternal things. And Jesus is saying, if you live for what is eternal, you'll never lack in what is temporal. We don't give to get, we get to give. It's a blessing. If God puts it on our hearts that we should give something, it's an honor because it it means, in fact, we have something to give. That's why I believe tithing is so awesome because tithing dignifies everybody. Tithing, it, it dignifies even the person that may feel like I've got nothing to offer. I just make, you know, minimum wage or even below minimum wage. But what God is saying is that even if you are less than in the eyes of the world, you're not a taker in my kingdom. Every person has a part to play. And when we honor God, we receive his provision in our lives. In fact, the book of Malachi says it this way, test me in this. Test me in this. In, in your giving, in your finances. And he says, see if I won't open up the window of heaven over your life and pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. We don't give to get, but when we are faithful with the temporal things that God has entrusted to us, he positions us for greater increase, for greater blessing, for greater capacity ultimately for his glory to advance his kingdom on the earth. And the reality is that oftentimes we don't know the nature of God until we experience a need. It's actually through need that we learn to experience a different aspect of the nature of God. Why? Because we learn that he is our provider. We learn that he does care for us. We learn that he is faithful to us. And and Uh, it's actually through those times of need that we learn to trust him in a different way. He says, all these things shall be added to you. I have to tell you something. We found out a need that we were not expecting as a church. And about two weeks ago, a little less than, we found out that this community center where we've been meeting for about the last year and a half uh, won't be available to us after September 1st. That was my reaction. Uh, maybe a little more emphatic. <laughs> and, and here's the deal. To, to be honest, we don't have to go into all of the details, but uh, there, there's a, a, another tenant that uh, would be here long-term, and they've given the preference to that person over us, and we appealed it, and it's not going to change, all right? So here's what I recognize. Uh, I, I recognize if that's a need we have, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. God's got this. God's going to take care of us. And here's what will happen. As we walk forward in faith, we will experience an aspect of God's goodness. We'll experience an aspect of God's faithfulness that we would not have seen if we had not walked through a time of uncertainty. How many of you know you don't know God as your counselor until you need some counsel? 
You don't know God as your provider until you need some provision. You don't know God as your healer until you need some healing. And suddenly you begin to get a hold of that aspect of his nature. God, we thank you that you are for us. Lord, we love to sing, you've led me through the fire. You've led me through the water. That's nice when you're not in the fire. But when you're in the fire, you need to know that God is a deliverer. God is good. And here's what I believe. God's going to carry us through. God's going to carry us through. In fact, uh, practically, we had been sensing as a leadership team that we needed a season of preparation, even for the body, as we were preparing to move into the building. I don't know if you feel this, but I feel a, a, a holy uh, intrepidation, maybe is the word, about whether or not we are ready when people come. Christian, you've been working at that building this week. There's already people coming in. Is there not? Every day, people are coming. Every other day, people are coming in. They're going, what's happening here? Let me tell you this. When we get in that place, I'm telling you, the question is not going to be, will people come? The question will be, are we ready? Are we ready? Okay. And uh, have you ever been to a restaurant and they opened a little too early? It's like, y'all need, need a soft launch. You need a real soft, even a squishy launch. You need a squishy launch first because y'all got to get your act together. You need to get to get, get ready. And I was feeling that, that we needed a season, that we need to mobilize. We've been uh, very, uh, shall we say, organic in these last uh, couple of years. But we need to organize for where God is taking us. We need a season of preparation. We need to get into that community, begin to be active in that community. And so here's what we are going to do. Uh, starting September 1st, we're going to shift into a new season a season of preparation. Now, we are believing, and Brad is declaring, that we will be in the building uh, before the end of the year. How many of you will join in agreement for that? <laughs> no, he didn't say Easter. That was my goal. That was my goal, okay? He didn't say Easter. He said, we got to get through permits, okay? But we have permits, work is happening, and Brad has been working behind the scenes. And so our hope is that we will be in before the end of the year. Uh, but we want to take a period of time this fall to begin to prepare for that. And so here's what that is going to look like. Uh, we're going to shift our rhythm. We're going to shift our routine a little bit. And here's what we're going to do for the fall season. We're going to continue with our house churches. How many of you have enjoyed house church? Yes. I would say this, uh, house church is vital. House church is vital. You can't be a follower of Jesus. This is a bold statement. You can't be a follower of Jesus privately on your own. Here's what happens. When you come to Jesus, he puts you into a group. And this is a group, but you need a small group of people that will know you and love you and care for you and encourage you. Now, I know that's not always easy. I know sometimes when you have 17 kids and 12 adults in a house like we had at our house a couple of weeks ago, I know that's not always easy. But it is essential. It is important. And so we want to continue. I want to encourage you uh, as your pastor. I want to lovingly encourage you that you need to be in a house church. And we're going to launch more house churches in September. We're going to launch more house churches to make room for more people to be involved in community. 
small groups are always essential. I believe it's the, it's the biblical model. Large gatherings and small groups are both in Jesus's ministry, okay? And I know sometimes a large environment is easier. You can kind of show up and nobody notices whether you're here or whether you're not here. Uh, nobody expects you to bring any, uh, you, you know, any um, fruit or bacon or sausages or any of the things that happen in house church. But that's essential. That's essential. And so we're going to lean into that in this fall season in preparation for where we're going. Now, when we're in the building, we'll have Sunday gatherings there, but we want to continue to have relational small group environments for people to plug into. So we're going to have twice a month, or actually biweekly, we will be in house churches. And then once a month, we'll have a monthly worship gathering. Now, you guys can pray for where that will be. Uh, I actually, as soon as I leave here, I go over to the Orlando Ballet Building to meet with them about possibly hosting that there. We're looking into other venues. Uh, Marjorie has been looking. Kendall has been looking. Nate has been looking. I have been looking. But God's going to provide. God's going to provide. And, and so we're just looking. We're, we're doing what God has called us to do. But we're going to have our first gathering, not here, uh, in September. We will be here next week. We'll be here on August 21st. And then after that, we will start a monthly worship gathering. Uh, and we will announce where those are going to be located. And then we will also be launching a monthly community outreach. Uh, kind of like we had our um, community cleanup day. How many of you enjoyed that? Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. I, I love that. That is the church. That is the church. That is the kingdom of God coming into Lee Road and like 30 bags of trash being picked up. And so we're going to lean into that. We're going to continue to reach out and even more so in that community with a monthly community outreach. We're going to do things like a fall festival and, a, and a, a food truck event. And we're planning a Christmas outreach. We were actually asked by one of the businesses in that community to try to lead an initiative to light up Lee Road with Christmas lights. How many of you think that would be a cool thing in that community if, if Lee Road at Christmas time just became a destination, not of darkness, but of light? Wouldn't that be awesome? And so we are beginning to think about that, to dream about that, to initiate that in the community, ultimately moving towards uh, Christmas services and all of the things that we want to do. But here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you uh, to seek the kingdom with us. Seek the kingdom of God. Put God first in your lives, in your home, in your family, in your finances, in your time. I know it's not easy. I know it's difficult. But how many of you know if there's parts of the world where people die for their faith? How many of you think if the worst thing that happens to us as a church is that we lose our meeting place when we've actually bought another building? How many of you think that's like nothing? That's nothing. And so here's what God is doing. God is building us. God is making us stronger. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're a part of this church community, I know there's people visiting and people that are part of other communities, but if you're a part of this community, don't use this season as a uh, Orlando church tour opportunity. Okay, don't just say, I'm going to go on a fall tour. I, I, I'll hit up Markham. I'll hit up Action Church. I'll hit up Celebration Church. I love all of those churches. God bless them all. But how many of you know, it doesn't advance the kingdom of God if we play sheep shifting around all the churches in Orlando. There's got to be somebody that'll say, even when it's not easy, and even when the kids' ministry may feel a little chaotic, I'm going to step out by faith. I'm, I'm going I'm to 
sow into this season to experience the harvest. Now, I know we all have to navigate, practically speaking, what does that mean? Especially those of us with kids, how do we navigate that? And we'd love to help you and encourage you, but can we just make a decision that we're gonna live for the kingdom of God? That we're gonna live not for our comfort, not for what is easy for us, we're gonna live for the kingdom, amen? Would you stand to your feet, worship team, you can come back up.